0: I am really excited to be with you all this morning. Um, Earlier this year, I preached here, and I preached as a guest preacher. Um, JP was on sabbatical, Pastor Brian was at our other campus, and so I'm excited to allow this to be my first sermon as being a part of the FCC family. So I just wanted to share that this morning. So we are finishing our foundation series, Um, we started with the purpose, Um, we should have done the vision, and then we should have ended with the values. But because we had exploding homes um, last week, um, we were unable to worship at the other campus, and so Pastor Brian preached about the values. And so I'm going to close the season, this uh, series, out, by talking about the vision. So I'm going to read the, the foundations are, we exist to glorify God. We glorify God by being obedient to his call on us to make disciples. So this is our purpose, to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a community of Christian love, develop in them Christ-like maturity, mobilize them for service to his church, and the world in order to glorify God. So that's our purpose. Now, here's our vision. Love God, love others, make disciples. Obviously, we love God because he first loved us. Obviously, we want to do the great commission because it says go out and make disciples among you. The problem is, in order to disciple people, we have to love people. And I don't know about you, But it's really hard sometimes to love God's people. So we are going to examine the Samaritan story, hopefully with new eyes, that we can understand who is our neighbor, how do we love them, and then how do we do that in the name of the Lord. So I invite you to pray for me as I hopefully uh, do justice to what God has for us today. So let's pray and dig into God's Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now saying thank you. We thank you for loving us and for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come and worship you through songs, through prayer, and through worship. We ask, Lord, I ask that you would empty me out as a vessel and that you would pour your love and your Holy Spirit within me, that they not hear my voice, that they not see my face, but they look through me and see your glory that they would have itching ears to hear your word, that it would penetrate to the even most believer that's been walking with you forever and the one that is skeptic about who you are and your love for them, that someone today would recognize how much you love them and they would not leave the same way that they came. So we say, have thy own way, Lord, have thine own way. And in Jesus' name, do I pray, amen. Now, to give you context, during the time of Jesus, there was this contextual debate regarding um, the Jewish law, which is found in Leviticus 19.18, and I believe it's gonna be on the, the screens for you, but I'm gonna read it. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among you, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the contextual debate was around the word neighbor, or as we like to say, other. So the religious teachers and the experts, and in this case it was the religious lawyer, desire to talk to Jesus, who was the rabbi, to allow Jesus to give him clarity of how do we get eternal life? Like, what what does that look like? What must I do to inherit it? And so he said, what is written in the law? He replied, well, how do you read it? Then the lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said, yep, yeah, good job, that a boy, you got it. See, you knew this stuff. But then he had a follow-up question for Jesus. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus said, here's the parable. The part that reminds us, now when he asks, who is my neighbor? I'm thinking, all right, so to get eternal life, we have to love one another. And to love one another, we have to know who our neighbor is. And when we know who our neighbor is, like how much love do we need to do to get eternal life? So I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I would always preach a sermon at least once a year to the youth regarding relationships. What's boundaries in relationships, how to love your girlfriend or your boyfriend in relationships. And there's always one or two students that come to me, they come to my office and say, oh, Pastor Marcus, can I, can I talk to you for a second? Sure. Like, Timmy, come on in. And Timmy said, you know, you you, you talked about Uh, relationships and love, and and so I want to know, because I have a new girlfriend, like where's where's the line? Like you said that, you know, I know sex is wrong, so that's a no-no before marriage, but can I like hold her hand? Can I put my arm around her shoulder? Can I kiss her? Do I kiss her on the cheek, on the lips? If it's the lips, is it tongue or no tongue? If it's with tongue, how long? Is it one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi? And he said, Pastor Marcus, do you know what I'm asking? I said, yes, Tim. You want to know where the line is. You want to know that wh- how far can I go without sinning? And we asked that same question. How, how much time, effort, and money do I need to invest to cross the threshold to get eternal life? So tell me who the neighbor is. Tell me where the line is, and then I'll be good. I mean, don't we do that with our tithes? 10%. Well, is it 10% before taxes or after taxes? Do we throw in the chain or not throw in the chain? Do we, do we average up or do we round down? Like, where is the line? Because I, my money is the money I earned, and I don't want to do more past than I, what I'm required. But friends, when we ask those questions, we're missing the very essence of the gospel. So Jesus has to tell him this parable to kind of flesh it out for him. He says, as a man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, then they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, he went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, the same road he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too the Levite. When he came to the place, he saw the man, he passed by the other side himself. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Then he put the man on his dog, brought him to the inn, and he took care of him." Now, in context, um, Jericho, as the man was leaving Jerusalem to Jericho, and I think we have a picture, hopefully, of uh, Jericho. So this is a picture of Jericho when I was there. I actually lived in Israel and studied there for a summer. So this is kind of, I wanted you to have an idea of what the the roads look like. Like it's rocky, the terrain, you know, the elevation about um, 3,300 feet in the air. And then the other picture is kind of a modern day of of Jericho when you leave Jerusalem and you make it into the city. and, um, And so this picture is about maybe eight or nine years old. But it was known that if you travel down this path, this road, that is notorious. For, for robbers, for, for people getting, um, like, bandits and, and things, I mean, even back to the 20th century. So, there's three characters that we have in this story. The first two are the religious leaders, and then the third character is not just a layperson, but a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by Jews. They were viewed as unclean, half-bred, and false worshippers. And although, so the Samaritan stopped to help the man, bandaged his wounds, took care of him, provided him accommodations, even the Samaritan was seen as being the other. As Jesus is, is, is in his amazing parable, as he, he puts emphasis on the definition of, who's my neighbor? As far as the lawyer is concerned, The neighbor was a Jew. The neighbor was an Israelite. The neighbor was someone that looked like him, that had similar education. This definition of neighbor is very tribunal, part of a tribe, part of your family. Think about things in your life. Who are your neighbors? I mean, when you think about it, if you went to Harvard, I think a lot of Harvard people, when they meet other Harvard people, think, hey, those are my neighbors. If you're from Massachusetts and you're a Patriots fan, you probably think, hey, I know who my neighbors are. Unfortunately, I may not be your neighbors if you think that way, but that's just a quick caveat. But we consider our neighbors as people that are like us, politically think like us, ethically, socially, financially, education. As broken people who love God, we ask the same question. Who is our neighbor? And Jesus replied, the person right in front of you. Recognize that the other is on the way, is on your journey. You don't have to look far, they're right there. So as the priest happened to be going by, it was by chance that he happened to see that man beaten, naked and laid there. I mean, he had no way of knowing an hour or two hours ago that this was going to happen. I mean, the man that was beaten, I'm pretty sure if he knew that he was going to be beaten, robbed, and left for dead, he may have taken a different way. I remember when I was a freshman in college, and about a month before I went to Seattle Pacific University, I get a a phone call from um, this guy named Joe. Joe was the multi-ethnic director at Seattle Pacific University. And Joe extended an invitation uh, for me to come and kind of hang out when I get to campus at this this kind of gathering called Early Connections. It was meant for minorities and those who are first generation kids, those who lived out of state, um, to help them get acclimated to college. And so, you know, I arrived at campus and I went to this gathering. And by chance, I actually, you know, happened to you know talk to Joe and we started striking up a conversation. And one of the things I asked him was, you know, hey, my faith is really important. I'm looking for a church uh, to go to. Now, Joe didn't know whether I was Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, or anything. But Joe immediately and said, hey, you know, I'll go to church. You you can go to church with me and kind of check it out. So Joe, uh, he picked me up uh, that Sunday and he took me to church. But Joe didn't know anything about me. I mean, he like literally had just met me and all he knew is that I had a need to be connected to a church and he was already connected to a church, and although it may not become my church home, it was a starting point for me to continue in my faith. I had a need, Joe saw me as his neighbor, Joe extended an invitation. The ro- robbers, the priests, the Levite, the Samaritan, even us, we know nothing about this man when we come to him. We don't know whether he's what his races, his nationality, his political views, Whether he's rich or whether he's poor, whether he's single, whether he's married, whether he's a hipster, whether he's Presbyterian, whether he's Baptist, whether he is a Yankees fan, whether he's gluten-free, we know nothing about him. All we know is that there's a man, he is half-conscious, and he is naked. So what do you know? What do you do? He's your neighbor. Last week when we had the explosions— There were people helping out all over. Some of you donated clothes, some of you donated food, you opened your homes up. Some of you rushed over to the neighbors' homes to turn off their gas. Some of you called around to check on others. I remember hearing one story, how a lady was driving up the street and she saw a man turning off uh, the gas to his home and she stopped and said, will you please get in my car and come over to my house and turn off my gas? So I wanna be safe. She didn't know who he was, and he didn't know who she was, but she had a need. He saw her as a neighbor with the need, got in the car, went over, and turned off the gas. That's what it means to be a neighbor. That's what it means to, to show love to the other. But many times when we run into people, we pass them by. I mean, let's get real. I mean, when you, you're driving and you're in a rush and your neighbor comes out and you know they're a talker, you're like, I don't have time, I'm gonna pretend like I don't see them. Or when you roll up and you're at a McDonald's and this, or a Burger King or Chick-fil-A or whatever your poison is and you see a homeless there, guy with a bucket and a little sign that says, I'm a veteran, and you roll rolling up that window or you're thinking, do I give him a dollar, do I give him two? What if he takes the dollar and he goes buy liquor? Well, I don't want to support that habit, so I'm not gonna do anything at all. We all have the people that we see that we avoid. We have the people that we see that need help that we will help, but do we help because it's according to us that we see them as a project? When was the last time you saw someone at your church on your job in your neighborhood and you knew they had a an need? And you too, like the priest and the Levite, you turned a blind eye. You looked to the other side. You say, you know what? I don't know them. It's not my problem. Friends, when we encounter someone on our journey, whether it's by chance or not, you have to ask yourself, what is our duty as a Christian to respond? I'm not saying you should sell your home and give them all your money. But what does Christ, what is Christ doing inside of you? Because you know, you you get convicted, or at least I get convicted. And if you don't get convicted, then that's a whole other sermon and a whole other thing that we, we have to discuss. But here's the thing. Most of us do serve our neighbors. We're doing ministry. We meet people all the time. We're on the front lines of our ministry. But a lot of the ways we serve are just plain normal. It's people in the church. Maybe you are an elder. Maybe you are a small group leader. And I just want to pause right here and say that I think Rozelle is doing an amazing job with the small groups and if you have not gotten plugged into a small group, I highly encourage you to fill up that blue card later and get plugged in. And if you're serving as a small group leader, then I encourage you to say a small group leader and go deeper in your relationship with Christ. So that's the little mini commercial that I have. But the beautiful thing is that when God places us in the church, whether you're a singer, whether you're an elder, or a small group leader, like, you're there for a purpose. So we want you to stay there. So I don't want you to mishear me. We want you to be in the church. We want you to invest in those that are around you. But, but what we're simply asking is, can you create space in your life? Can you create space in your journey? Can you create space as you go to the grocery store and get gas for your neighbor, for the other? Because when we don't, do that, we are like the robbers. So it's not about who the robbers were, we have to reframe this question and say, who are the guilty ones? Because when we ask, her question, ask that, who are the guilty ones, then we're not necessarily responsible for how that homeless man is at McDonald's or how that man got beaten on that road, but we're guilty because we see something and we do nothing. So the robbers are guilty, The priest is guilty, the Levite is guilty, I'm guilty, you're guilty, but thank God that we have a good Samaritan. Not only a good Samaritan that helped him, but we ourselves had a good Samaritan that loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. So I'm sure glad the way that I treat people, God doesn't treat me that way. The priest sees the man naked and unconscious. He neglects him out because of religious consideration. Look at this. The priest didn't know if he was a Jew or not. So as the priest is walking on the road and he sees the guy naked and he's like, well, he looks like he's dead. I can't touch him. First of all, I don't know he's a Jew. Second of all, if he's dead, I'll be unclean. And if I'm unclean, I can't go to Jericho. I have to remain here in Jerusalem, and then it's going to take seven days of me fasting and praying and washing and the whole King Caboodle that I'm going to be, because that's the law, and that'll be seven days without wages. That'll be seven days that, that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Maybe the temple is a started to priests, and I, I, I can't. Like, I wish I could, but I don't have enough information to know if I'm allowed to help this person. Then the Levite comes along. Maybe the Levi had a similar issue. Or maybe he was just out of fear. I mean, man, they robbed him. What if I'm, if I'm helping him? They come and they rob me. No use to both of us being down and out. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to pretend like I don't see and keep walking. But it was the good Samaritan that, that saw that this person like, needed help. He saw that this person needed love. In that moment at that time, he was going about his day. He wasn't searching out, seeing, hey, can I can I serve you? Hey, do you need something? No. He just out for a stroll, making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, saw someone in need, and he stopped and helped. We want to be devoted Christians, but when we only help those that look, think, and act like us, we miss the gospel. We are supposed to love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. First John says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So we recognize that our neighbor or the other are the people we encounter in our everyday life and on our journey. But it doesn't stop there. We learn from the Samaritan story that we recognize that as loving the other requires us to go out of our way, not meeting the bare minimum, but going above and beyond. We recognize who they are and who they are in terms of what they need. Sometimes it's just because we're busy and we don't have the opportunity. We're not alert Maybe you're task-oriented instead of relationship-oriented. So what's the task? I paid my tithes. I listened to the sermon. I went to church. I'm good. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you are relationship-oriented, but it's relationships that are in your circle that you already have, they are already going well, that you miss the people who are outside of your circle. You see, neighbor love crosses cultural lines. That person may be different than you. That's why Jesus gives us the Good Samaritan, Because the Good Samaritan was hated by the Jews. Even in that last verse, when Jesus asked the lawyer, which one of them is your neighbor, which one did the right thing? The lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan. Do you hear what he said? He said it was the one who showed mercy. He wouldn't even utter the name of the other. Loving others require us to build bridges that that, uh, that goes across things that we wouldn't dare go across. Having conversations with people that we wouldn't normally have a conversation with. Remember when I told you about Joe? And that the church that he took me to, that I attended, fell in love with that church. It was amazing. It was the choir. It was a Baptist preacher. It was tamarines. It was was all the things that that someone like me that was coming out needed. Because I went to a school that was um, predominantly Caucasian. uh, And it was free Methodist. And so when I went to that church, it felt that it was home. Because I, I was listening to music that I was accustomed to. But as I grew in my faith, I realized that, man, I can worship with anyone, not just people at at that church, but I can worship where Christ places us. So when Joe found out that this church was, was dear to me, you know what he did? He picked me up every single Sunday. He woke up early. He went out of his way to come to campus, pick me up, take me to church, and bring me back. He did it because he saw me as the other. He saw me as a neighbor. He saw me as someone that had a need and he had the ability to meet that. need. From the conversations I had with Joe to the many lunches that we shared together, I consider Joe a mentor, a friend, and a brother in the Lord. You see friends, loving others goes all the way. It's the same way with the Samaritan. The Samaritan didn't just simply bandage his wounds, but he took his oil and he poured it on his wounds. And then he cleaned him up. And then he put that guy on the donkey and then he led him to the inn. Then he paid for him to stay there. And then after he paid for him to stay there, he said, if he needs anything else, give it to him. I'm going to come back and check on him. That's what doing life together. That's what loving people is. It's not loving God and that we love others by telling, by helping them out, telling them all their issues, and then saying, you know, go go ahead now, you can make disciples. Like no, it's loving God, recognizing that we love God because God loved us and that we are to love other people by walking alongside them, doing life together. The only way to have a heart that goes all the way is to remember that Jesus went all the way for us. I like the way Isaiah 53 says it. Surely he took up our pain and borne our suffering. Yet we consider him and punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. But by his wounds, we were healed. God reaches a cross and he brought us healing. Jesus goes all the way to the cross. We were battered, we were bruised, by our own sin and our own failure, yet he lifts us up and we stand on firm ground. In conclusion, when we realize these things, when we realize that the most important question isn't who my neighbor is so I can love them, the question is, Am I loving, am I loving people as I go and therefore being a neighbor? I'm gonna say that one more time because Jesus flips it at the end. He says, the most important question isn't who my neighbor is so that I could love them. The question is, am I loving people as I go, as you go on your day, as you go to school and work and drive and errands, as you go, therefore giving you opportunities to be a neighbor. Who was my neighbor versus who was the neighbor? Asking who was my neighbor implies a need for information. But Jesus said it's not a lack of information that you need, it's a lack of love that you have. This expert in the law was supposed to love him regardless. The Samaritan loved him regardless. When I graduated from Seattle Pacific University, uh, Joe and I parted ways. I stayed in next year at uh, Seattle and I worked for Big Brother Big Sisters and Joe got a promotion down at Azusa Pacific University down in Southern California. And during that year, I did a lot of praying for what was next steps in my life. And I was debating between law school and seminary. And I went to seminaries of law school. And so as I was looking at seminaries, I, I didn't know which ones to pick because there were so many, but I remember that when I got to college, even though I had a rough four years of college, it was Joe that came alongside me that loved on me. So I said, you know, I'm gonna look up the school that Joe's at. And you know what I did? I attended Azusa Pacific University. I applied, I got admitted, and I'll never forget the day. I went and I knocked on Joe's door, and I said, Joe, won't you be my neighbor? Let's do this all over again. We did four years in college, now I can do three years in seminary. Unfortunately, a few months after that, Joe was in his early, early 40s, and as Joe was leaving campus, Joe had a massive heart attack. And it was so massive that Joe died before his body even hit and I, And as you can imagine, I was pretty devastated. So I got on a plane, I went to Austin, Texas, where his body was being shipped, spoke at his funeral. And as I was on that plane, I was sitting next to a gentleman named Dr. Terry Franson. Dr. Terry Franson was the Senior Vice President Dean of Students of Azusa Pacific. And I decided in that moment, just to pour my heart out to the stranger on the plane. Terry is like maybe 65, 70. He wears his little uh, sweater vest and uh, just just didn't know him at all, but knew that, hey, he was a Christian. And during the flight to and from, um, Terry and I got to know each other. And when we landed, and after he had heard all the things that Joe had did for me, Terry realized that, you know, you're in need of an, another neighbor. So Terry and I started having lunches together, we would go on walks together, he would log on me, he would pray for me, and a couple of years ago, um, when Terry and I was doing one of our, our walks, and we'd normally go to this Thai place, across the street from campus, and he knew know he wasn't supposed to be eating Thai, so we would have to walk around the track so his, his wife would know that he got his points on his Fitbit. And, and as we're walking, uh, Terry gave me this. And I, at first, I thought it was a coaster. And I was thinking, Terry, first of all, why would you give me a coaster, and why would you give me a dirty coaster? I think it's time for you to retire. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so Terry started telling me the story about how we met by chance on the airplane and, and, and how we did life together. And he said that um, last year, Azusa Pacific got a new track. And so as they got a new track, he had them cut this out for me. And this is the piece of track. This is Azusa Pacific. And it represents the 10 years that we've been doing life together. And it happened by chance. Because he realized that I needed a neighbor. I had a need. He didn't have to do it. He's a vice president of this school. He doesn't have time to do it. We have over 10,000 students. But he went out of his way because he loved God, and he loved me, and he helped me to continue being a disciple. That's what Christ is asking us to do. Joe was a Samaritan because just like Joe, he showed compassion. Terry was a Samaritan because just like Jesus, he showed mercy. Why do we call the Samaritan good? Because he bandaged the victim's wounds, just like Jesus. He put the victim on the donkey so that he would be safe, just like Jesus. He instructed the innkeeper to watch over him until his return, just like Jesus instructed the Holy Spirit to be here with us until his return. You see, loving God and loving others are entwined. And when you love God, you will automatically love others because when God sees our sins, he still died on the cross for our sins. So when we see the sins and the bad things that that other people do to us, why do we love them? Because God still loves us. And why do we help disciple them? Because God continues to disciple us until the day we see Him. There is no line. God said, forgive, and when and when they sin against you, forgive some more. Go above and beyond. That's what it means to get, be a good Samaritan. To have eyes like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to help people just like Jesus did. And, and you don't have to rely on your own strength. This is a great part about the gospel. All you have to do is create space in your heart for Jesus to come in and operate from the strength of Jesus. It's not about you, but it's all about you. And when you get that, my friends, not only will you be a good Samaritan, not only will your relationship with Christ get stronger and better, not only will you start loving others, but you see empty pews around, the church begins to fill up because we're making disciples, because we're loving from a place that can only come from God and God alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you and we saying thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for loving us even when we didn't deserve it. We thank you for your love that reaches into every cracks and crannies of our lives. The love that takes away the sins of the world. The love that that you know our sins and you know the things that we struggle with. But that love is so powerful. We thank you for that, Lord. So we ask today that as we leave this place that we love on others. That that same love will be so strong that you have for us that we can have for our neighbor for our brother, for our co for our family, for the person that we continuously avoid. Let us not leave this place the same way that we came, but let us know that your love transcends generations, that your love transcends race, your love transcends economic, and your love transcends everything that we can imagine because you love us so much. So we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Oh.